0: Well, our text is Matthew chapter three, and it's verses thirteen through seventeen is our text. Doing what Jesus did. Now you'll see right up the uh, front there when we read the text that Jesus got baptized. Okay, and so you'll say, oh, All right, this is a sermon about baptism, and maybe not totally. Okay, not totally. There's some other things I want you to see in this message. Kind of reminds me though, of the story of a Baptist church. It's been sitting there for years, and they said, you know what, we got to upgrade this baptistry of ours, and so they, I mean, they went all out, they put thousands upon thousands of dollars, and you know, they had a great mural painted in the back, and they had uh, the latest stuff for heating the water and all that, and they even had some kind of a chair that the person could sit down now, and the pastor just push a button, it would take them under and bring them back up, you know, so I mean, they just went all out. And that, that word got around the town. The Methodist preacher got real upset about that. He says, "We've got to mash them." so they went out and bought a new cup. <clears throat> they sprinkle, by the way. OK? So uh, they don't do what we do here. But uh, boy, that went right over the head, didn't it? Okay? I tell you. that's a good thing about being this age. I enjoy it, whether anybody else does or not. All right, OK. Well, Matthew chapter three, verses 13 through 17. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan, unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Righteousness. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And by the way, you don't come up out of a cup, okay? Uh, He came up straightway out of the water, and the word baptized means to immerse. Okay, that's why we do that. Uh, Do it the way they did it in that day. Now, again... And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now shall we pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be once again back into the Word of God, and as we... Preach your word. Help us to rightly divide it. And Lord, I just pray for thy spirit to just speak to hearts. I can't speak to the heart. I can only speak to your word and carry your message. But it's up to thy spirit to carry the message, and it's up to people to receive it. I pray that that would be the case this very day in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. As we read the text, you would conclude, well, he's talking about being baptized just like Jesus did, and there's nothing wrong with doing what Jesus did, by the way. Nothing wrong with that at all. But you'd only be partially right, but not totally right, because Jesus makes a very important statement for us here uh, to really consider when he says, for it becometh us, and this is for all of us because this, this in verse 15 is, is making a very important s- statement. He says, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Now he said us. And that's important because Jesus is speaking from his humanity. Now Jesus was God come in the flesh. He was 100% God, 100% man. He always existed as God throughout eternity past. His creator. Without him was not anything made that was made, the Bible tells us. But it wasn't was until Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, he also took on flesh. Yet, without a sin nature like you and I inherit. But in his humanity, he says, it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, I'll tell you right now, I cannot fulfill all righteousness. I don't know anybody in this auditorium or listening by way of internet or radio that can. None of us can fulfill all righteousness. But when I got saved, I was accepted in Christ Jesus. I was accepted in the beloved. Okay. And so when I appear before the Lord, it's his righteousness, not mine. He fulfilled all righteousness. But it doesn't mean we don't uh, try to live righteously and godly in this present world because we are to try. Now, so please understand all righteousness is important for each and every one of us who name the name of Christ. The Apostle Paul. Now, you say the Apostle Paul. I've heard preachers say greatest missionary of all time. Some say, well, the greatest preacher of all time. And and there's all these things that we say about the Apostle Paul. And Paul was a great man, a good man. Yet, Paul had Stephen put to death. He lived the life of of before his salvation of having people beaten, all their stuff taken from them, throwing them into prison, men and women, helling them off to uh, uh, prison. It's the idea that they drug them physically, bodily, painfully. But he got saved and God changed his life. And so when we looked at and the fact that God used him to write so many New Testament books... He says in Philippians three nine, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness of God by faith. It wasn't his righteousness. He says, no, I was a Pharisee. I was at the top of the ladder as far as the Jewish religion was concerned. But my righteousness was nothing. And I don't want my righteousness now is what he's saying. I want the righteousness of Christ. That is what I want. And so that's why when you read Romans chapter 10, verse 10, he says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. It's not that it makes us uh, a better and better person to where we're righteous. No, he makes us uh, accepted. In the beloved, Ephesians 1.6, we're accepted when we stand, when we receive Christ as Savior, it's his righteousness that stands in our place, not our own. And that's the great uh, thing about it. Even creation, you didn't realize that man was not created uh, uh, righteous. Man was created innocent. And God had a good purpose for that because when man was tried and he gave in to that, then... It was no righteousness at all, and we needed a righteousness that we ourselves could not earn. Jesus Christ got that for us. And we must simply accept him as our Lord and Savior. Jesus was born righteous. But he lived in his humanity, born innocent, as well as righteous. And he never sinned one time. Never one time, even though he was tried in those areas. Now, we talk about our salvation, however, and, and so often we say, well, well, as long as I'm saved, that's all that counts, I can live like I want to. That is not a Bible salvation, by the way. If that's your view of salvation, you have no idea of salvation. As a matter of fact, in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, it tells us about our salvation. For the grace of God that it bringeth salvation. Aren't we saved by grace? Okay, so the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. Now, this is what true salvation, the Bible's telling us what a true salvation and a real salvation teaches us. Denying ungodliness. Uh, remember, I-N-G means it's a continual thing. So we seek to walk with God, denying ungodliness. And worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, when we're denying lust, we're saying, okay, what we're looking at is the fact that my flesh desires things. And when my flesh begins to put my desires ahead of the things of the Lord, then those are worldly lust. Worldly desires that doesn't say it's the very bottom rung, you know, and just the filthy things of the drugs and not so many other things that might be considered with those uh, with that term. No, he's just looking at worldly desires. Last week there was uh, a football game on television. Okay, there are a lot of people that weren't in church because they're going to go stay home and watch a football game. No. Watching a football game, we've all watched them, so is it evil to watch a football game? No. But when we put that ahead of the Lord, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, then we have had a worldly lust that has taken precedence over the Lord's work. Okay? And that can be applied in so many ways in so many areas of life. And I'm just telling you that uh, the salvation that we have teaches us to live godly, soberly, and righteously in this present world. And many times, Christians do these things, but there's, that's why there's also conviction, and that's why some people get upset when they preach on those things. Now, having said all that, I want us to see the background for the baptism that was in our text today. And it comes under the ministry of John the Baptist. John is what they called in that day an Essene. Um, here was a group of men... They met in a, one of the areas, was in Qumran, uh, this down near the uh, Dead Sea. And there was much attention given to studying of the law. I mean, they they put hours of studying of the laws. They'd come apart there to to do that, and they'd stay there day after day and give themselves to the study of the law. And then they gave themselves to separating from anything that was worldly. They'd go through a, what they would call ritual cleansing in which they had hits you know, in stone over there. So everything was kind of in the ground there and just so much stone over there. And they'd have it carved out of the ground and they'd have that thing filled with water. And it's kind of like a baptistry, but in that they would be submerged in that water. They'd go walk down in it, be submerged and come back up out. And they would do that to themselves several times a day. I mean, it wasn't a preacher there doing that to them. They went down and submerged themselves. It was a ritual cleansing. It was cleaning themselves before they would actually go to open the scriptures and study scriptures. And so there's that cleansing that would go on in in that day like that. Uh, As a matter of fact, when we go to Israel, we visit Qumran, we see some of that. Uh, But when you see the story of John's birth in Luke chapter 1, we begin to see the call on his life. It's kind of like Elijah preparing the way of the Lord. And I believe that we miss what John the Baptist is doing. Now, if you look in the same chapter of our text, the first two verses, he says, In those days, John the Baptist, uh, then came, uh, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, previously, He is preaching, and before that Jesus comes, and people are coming, and and things are happening, and there's a crowd beginning to grow. Obviously, John the Baptist is calling people to repentance. So when Jesus comes, he's saying, you don't need to repent. I need to be baptized of you, but not Jesus. But John was preaching against sin. John was naming sin, as a matter of fact, not just preaching the fact that we're sinners. He was even naming sin. Listen as I read verses 7 through 9. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to the baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee the wrath to come? You know how many people get upset (laughs) Do you know what he called my kids? He called them vipers. You know, and he's too negative. Or they know he knows that sins in my son's life, my daughter's life. They know that sins in my husband's, my wife's life, and they shouldn't say anything about that. Those people were here, and now he had to go up and talk about those. Things. What's wrong with that preacher? It didn't stop John the Baptist. He preached what God told him to preach. As it is to men as they are. And so, uh, we go on, verse 8 says, Bring there, uh, bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. Fruits. You can tell a tree by its fruit. In in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, he talks about wolves and sheep's clothing, and he tells them about looking at a tree. A good tree brings forth good fruit, an evil tree brings forth evil fruit. By their fruits you shall know them. When it comes to a Christian, when it comes to a man of God, if he's not preaching the word of God, he's preaching to you philosophy and psychology. He's not preaching the word of God. It's his fruit is a deceptive fruit. It is an evil fruit, and it is a fruit that brings death. We need God's word as it is to us as we are. And then there's something else he hits here. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Now, listen, I, I heard a Jew actually give this testimony that was actually got saved. But before the test they were saved, it was a lady. She said, I was born a Jew. We were taught that if you're born a Jew, you're going to heaven. Unless you really do something really bad, like going out and murdering somebody or something of that, you're going to heaven. You're God's chosen people. So they're saying, hey, look, we're children of Abraham. Well, isn't Abraham the father of many nations? We're children of Abraham. Well, that's all right. But that doesn't get you to heaven. Look, just because your mom and dad were godly Christians, that doesn't save your soul. Each of us have a personal accountability to God. Or you say, you don't know my parents, they were both drunkards, they were drug addicts, whatever. You still have a personal accountability to God. You realize that as bad as your parents are, if they were really bad like that, they'll give an account of themselves to God, but you'll give an account of yourself to God. And it will not justify your life to say, guess what my parents did. doesn't justify it at all. Don't blame the past. Don't blame the parents. Blame, look at yourself and just say, you know what? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I need a Savior. That's what the Bible says. So let's just agree with God and get off these religious psychologists that are trying to tell us something else. God's Word tells us what's wrong, and we just need to obey it and go by it. And so we want fruit that remains. Now, see, their idea of fruit was religion, but, boy, that is so much different. In Matthew 7, 21 through 23, he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. What is that will? Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Acts 17.30, God commandeth all men everywhere to repent because he is appointed a day in which he will judge the world. That's God's will is that you repent of being a sinner and give your life to him as your Lord and Savior. That is his desire. So verse 22 says, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works and God doesn't deny it. He doesn't deny that they did those things. But those things, those works don't save their souls. Jesus did the work to save our soul. You see? And so, uh, he says, and then will I profess unto them, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Not I used to know you. Uh Uh-uh. I never knew you. See, you're not born a Christian. You must be born again, as Jesus told Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, and by our mind, if we saw his life and say, boy, this was one righteous guy, Jesus says, you need a savior. You must be born again. John, though, he preached repentance. This is the same John who went to King Herod and said, it's unlawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. Now, look, John wasn't the one that was out of line. Herod was. Herod was the one that was out of line. Quit, Quit getting upset with preachers and evangelists and others who preach and name sin. Look at the fact that that's not the way the Lord said for them to try to water it down and make it feel good to you. The Lord doesn't want you to feel good in sin. He doesn't want you to feel good in unrighteousness. He wants you to come to him in total repentance. The kingdom of God is at hand. There is coming a judgment. Notice verse 7 says, Who hath warned you to flee the wrath to come? Now he's saying that to these religious Pharisees. Who's warned you guys? There is a hell. It's a literal burning lake of fire. It's not just a separation from God that you can no longer get in touch with him even if you wanted to. No, hell is an eternal lake of fire and torment where one never ceases to exist. And he says, who has warned you to flee the wrath to come? Because that is God's wrath that is going to come on those that reject Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And by the way, not only did John the Baptist preach it, Jesus preached it. The one that preached the most on hell in the Bible is the Lord Jesus Christ. You think about that. It is a real place. It is the thing that is going to happen. Now apparently this call to repent and prepare to meet thy God came after preaching the word. If they accepted it, they would identify with Jesus Christ by baptism. Think of Jesus preaching in in uh for example in Mark chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 when Jesus starts his ministry it says this. Now after that John was put in prison Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, this is what Jesus said when he was preaching, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. What is that good news? That is Jesus come to die for your sin, to pay your penalty, to stand in our place. In Luke 13, 3, Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Two verses later, verse 5, again, he repeats it for emphasis. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Those are Jesus' words. I think of uh, right here in chapter 4 of Matthew, of our text, uh, chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus called sinners to repent and all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans three twenty three tells us. I encountered a preacher one time that did not believe in repentance as a part of salvation. And he said this to me, do you realize that the word repent is not in the book of John? And John talks a lot about salvation. My answer was short. It was, I tried to be kind. I didn't get upset, but I just said, well, do you realize the word rapture? And Trinity's not in the Bible, but I still believe it. Those words aren't there, but the teaching is. And I says, the teaching of repentance is in John. He, he went to John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, he said, it doesn't, doesn't even say to pray. It doesn't even say to uh, repent. It just says believe. That was his term. Okay, well, if Jesus in the same paragraph says something to identify what he means, isn't that what he means? I mean, the devils believe and tremble, so we know that if he said, for whosoever believes in him, if the devils believe in him, then they're not going to perish. They're not going to go to hell after all. No, the devils believe and tremble. There's something else to that. Now, having said that, we realize that he had so much more to say. And in verses 19 through 21, as a matter of fact, he says in verse 18, uh, he that believeth on him shall not be condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because we're born sinners. We're condemned already. And then verse 19, he says this, and this is the condemnation that light, is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that hateth uh everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, and neither cometh to the light lest their deeds should be made, uh should be uh reproved. In other words, they hated it. Preaching on sin because they realize they're sinners and they didn't want to repent. They want to say, it's all right for me to live this way. It's all right for me to do this way. It's none of your business. It is my business to know that you're headed to hell and to try to get you turned around. I mean, if a house catches on fire, it's your neighbor's house, and you see it burning over there, say, hey, it's none of my business. You see a little four-year-old child start to walk out in the uh, road and cars are coming from each direction. Not my child, it's none of my business. You say, preacher, that would be crazy. Yes, it would be crazy, but, but what is worse than that, that we know souls are going to hell, we do nothing about it. Right. Right. That is even worse. Now look, they hate for you to preach on sin, but that's what he says here, Jesus says. He revealed light that showed the darkness in their heart. He says in verse uh, 21, but he that doeth the truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. In other words, they realized they needed a Savior, that Jesus Christ is that Savior, and they received him. It is inconsistent to say, uh, to accept Jesus' preaching of John 3.16, but then reject what he said about coming to the light. And rejecting the darkness, that would be totally inconsistent. Again, it reminds us of our, what I mentioned earlier, Titus two eleven and twelve. For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying uh, worldliness and godly un, ungodly lusts, that we should uh, worldly lusts, should we live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. When you get baptized, you are demonstrating. Two things. First, you're identifying with Jesus Christ. He is your Lord and Savior. He died for you. He was buried for you. He rose up victorious over hell and the grave. That's why Revelation 1.18 says that He, only He, Jesus Christ has the keys of hell and of death. He's the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So you're identifying with Christ. You're showing that, yes, He died for me. He was buried and He rose from the dead. You're, you're showing that, that you're identifying with Him. He is the one you follow. You give your life to Him. And that life that you're giving to Him is as serious as the word that you give when you're getting married. And you take those vows and you make those vows. John wanted to forbade Jesus. Say, no, I can't do that to you in verse 14 of our text. You see, John was preaching the baptism of repentance only. But Jesus was coming to fulfill all righteousness. And so Jesus was going to be baptized, not because he needed to be saved. He, he, was, he was God coming to flesh. We don't baptize unsaved people. We baptize saved people. People have asked me in my ministry over 47 years now, do you baptize babies? No. No, I don't. And if we baptize babies, I'd have them up in the bath I'd go. Phew. And every one of you would have heart attacks, okay, if I did that. Now, we don't baptize babies because they must be saved first. All right. They must first be saved. And they must first receive Christ as Savior. Look, in Acts chapter 19, verses 3 and 4, Some of John the Baptist's disciples came and and they meet Paul and he says, well, what baptism were you baptized with? He says, oh, the baptism of, of John, the baptism of repentance. And he told them about Jesus Christ, of his death, burial, and resurrection, and he was the one that John was pointing to. And they were baptized into that baptism. We find that the Philippian jailer, When we read about the story and that Paul and Silas are singing at midnight and then there's an earthquake and they're released and and he thinks he's going to kill himself and Paul stops him and he says, no, look, 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 don't stop. Stop, stop, stop. Don't kill yourself. And the jailer comes in trembling and he takes him to his house and he leads his whole family to Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that night he baptized them. That very night, he baptized them. They didn't go through a class. Acts chapter 2, 3,000 souls were saved, and that day they were baptized. You said they don't fully understand baptism. That's, you don't do that until they fully understand. Look, I still don't fully understand salvation. Why would God save me? But I believe Him, And if he told me to get baptized, I'm going to get baptized. And so that's what we do. We do in obedience to the Lord's command. You ever have a child? You say, you go do this. Take out the garbage. Go mow the yard. Go do that. Why do I got to do it? What is the reason for me doing that? I'll show you the reason right here. Okay. I won't take the belt off now. I don't have suspenders for the rest of the problem. Okay. Okay. But. Jesus gave the commandment. And this is the first commandment that he gave after salvation is to be baptized. And somebody that would say, Okay, I got saved. I could see my need to be saved. But to be baptized, I don't know. In front of all of those people. Look, Jesus Christ hung naked on a cross for your sin. And you can't get baptized fully clothed for him. What is wrong with us to say that we know better than Jesus Christ, we know better than God, the one that actually saved our soul because we could not save ourselves? He is the Savior. He is God. He is Lord. So why rebel against the very first command that he gives you after you get saved? In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, uh, the Lord gives them a a commission. He gives them a, a command. He says, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye, therefore, and baptize and teach all nations. What did they teach them? The gospel. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe, live in obedience, godly, holy, righteously, soberly. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. You go out and do that, but I'll be with you the whole way. If you'll do God's will, God's way, he's with you the whole way. How about Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. The second thing I want to see here that's also twofold, you're not only identifying with Christ, you're showing you belong to him, just like in a marriage. They walk down the aisle here, Her last name may be Smith, and his last name is Jones. We do the wedding. They give their word. Maybe she receives a ring. But when they walk out of here, her name now is Jones. Why? Because she has taken his name. When I received Christ, he put his ring of the Holy Ghost in me, and I received his name. Christian. Saved the family of God, as many as received him. To them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Look, when I received Christ, I got his name. He is the head. I'm in submission, but boy, I'm glad that he's the head and not me. Now, you're showing that Jesus Christ, what he did for you when he died, was buried and rose from the dead. You're showing that he did that for every sin you ever have or ever will commit. In other words, everything you owe that you could not pay, he paid it for you. As it comes to the fact of eternity and your soul. He saved you from your sin. He saved you from its just but terrible consequences of eternal life. Should I say eternity? It's hard to call that life eternity in a lake of fire where you never cease to exist and you never cease to feel the pain of the flames as well as the torments that are there. Hebrews 12, two says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, what was that joy? It was in your soul being saved from that burning hell. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Didn't say he loved the cross, enjoyed the cross. He endured it. He endured the cross and he did it in his humanity without any help of his deity. You know, when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? His deity would not minister any grace to his humanity in the payment for our sin. That tells us what our sin deserved. And it says, despising the shame He didn't enjoy the shame of it. He despised it all. And is set down at the right hand of the throne of God for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. Don't quit. You'll never suffer what he suffered for you. Don't Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Yes, it was a shame. It was public. But he did that for us. Hating our sin but loving our soul. My friend, he would do that for us. And just like in the wedding, he's giving your word, giving yourself each to the other, as the vow says. No, you won't be a perfect spouse, not even with your earthly spouse, not even with Christ. but you'll still be together throughout all eternity. Are you ashamed to identify with Christ today who died for you? Do you realize that he paid the price? You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. His blood. Do you realize that you could have died and, and that would have been it? But even if you could have risen three days later from the dead, even if you could have ascended into heaven, even if you could have been right there and done all that on your own, which no one can, and then you applied your own blood, your blood would not be acceptable. You need a a Savior, and Jesus Christ is that Savior. You see, that blood would be applied at that great mercy seat in heaven, and it couldn't be tainted blood. It had to be 100% pure, innocent blood of the Lamb. You've been saved, and yet you've not been baptized. We're going to baptize tonight, have baptism tonight. But my friend, if you've been saved but not baptized, why not reciprocate the love that he has shown for you in dying for your sin to at least, Identify with him through baptism. I've been doing this over 40 years. I've never had one time somebody step up from the audience and say, what an idiot, what you get baptized for? Man, alive. look at that stupid guy. Boy, don't even get close to him. He's a nut. That's never happened in church. I don't know why. But actually, you know what? When they were baptizing in John's day, Jesus' day, and the apostles' days, even up in Martin Luther's day, even in Russia, back in the 20th century, people got caught being baptized. Many times they got killed right there, sometimes held underwater until they drowned. Obeying God was important to them. It was very important. Don't be ashamed to identify with him. If you have been saved, and you have been baptized. Why not encourage others that have been saved to be baptized? And then, if there are people that are unsaved that you know, seek to bring them to Christ, because that's the first step. Look, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, I'm not going to read it now, but we're told there are harlots and murderers and everything else. When God saves them, he does a work, because he changes them, He forgives them. And he makes them new creations in Christ Jesus. And he will do that for anybody that you know today. He will do it for them. But you are the messenger. Take that gospel to them. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. And Jesus will save. Let's bow our heads, please.